0: Welcome to Everything In Between, and we're your hosts, Siobhan and Sam. Today, we are going to discuss a uh, episode of Dateline. It aired on... What day did it air, Siobhan? May 2019. May 2019, and it's called Unraveled. We listened to the podcast version of that episode, and we just want to give out a couple of disclaimers. First... You know, if you have any kind of triggers to domestic violence or, you know, talks of murder or anything like that, please be advised that this episode will discuss all of that. So if you have anything that you need, like if you have any triggers, please know that going into it, if you want to listen to it or not, definitely not for anyone under the age of 14 this episode. Most episodes though aren't. So <laughs> also I oh wanna God. say wow. Yeah, right. So also I wanna say too that um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, any situation that you're going through or someone else, you're looking into someone else's life, hindsight is twenty twenty, But when you're going through it, you're subjective and you can't see past it and we recognize that. So when we discuss this episode today and what happened and our thoughts on it, please understand that we're coming from more of a cautionary tale point of view. Like, yeah, that definitely is something you wanna look out for. Not so much, you know, judging someone else's life choices, but a cautionary tale, of what happened to this person, you know, how can we avoid that as individuals to, of happening to us? Because hindsight is twenty twenty, so we should take advantage of situations where um, we're able to look through someone else's glass and see, you know, their past and say, you know what, I I recognize that, and I'm going to make a U turn. I'm going to pivot from my current point, of my current path into something else based on these life experiences of someone else. Now, because I am Sam. I will make some off the wall comments. These are my per- personal, not professional opinions on I- the issues, likewise with Siobhan. So I think we got all of that housekeeping out of the way. Right, Siobhan, is there anything else you wanna add?
1: Absolutely, nope. And I think we're ready to get started. I
0: think is very interesting what happened here. So this young lady, and Siobhan's gonna interject whenever she wants to, Um, with facts I'm just gonna talk shit so this young lady she her name is Connie she met this guy he was 22 23 she was 18 22 22, Mm -hmm. and she was 18 so I want to say you know we kind of talked about how do you feel when you're 18 years old like you're on top of the world right I'm on top of the world I can tell you anything I want to do. You can't tell me anything. Mom and dad, I'm going to date this guy who's older than me. You know, blah, blah, blah. So that's where we are with this. When they first meet, she's just now becoming of legal age. Can't even drink yet. You know, blah, blah, blah. Then, so they meet and he's all like, oh, okay. Well, I'm, you know, what is his name? Dwayne Jones or something like that. And I'm going to, you know... Be a lawyer and i'm in the military and i'm doing all the things you know And she fell for it, you know, she went down the rabbit hole of you know He has so much potential. He's going to be doing all these things. I want to be a doctor He wants to be a lawyer, you know, of course, that's like the perfect pairing, right? So three years after they meet He's discharged somehow we don't know how but he's somehow discharged from the military be honorable discharge dishonorable We don't know but he's discharged from the military and starts to like, I think she said that during this time there was a small decline in his mental stability too. Um, But anyway, they keep dating, get married. They don't have any kids yet. They don't have, you know, any long-term commitment. So at any point, you know, we kind of could have separated, but we didn't. So, well, she did, she did. So she went on to medical school and she became a radiologist. But before that, they were together for eight years and she wanted to get a divorce. Do you remember this part? She wanted to get a divorce because his mental health was declining. And when his mental health went for a whole other turn, she, um, you know, what did she do? He went for a whole other turn. She wanted to d- divorce him and he sat on the floor for three days crying about her wanting to divorce him like if that were me if I were dating someone and he sat on the floor crying for three days I'm sorry I have some serious concerns and questions about what is going on with this relationship what is going on with you know um his mental health can I handle that kind of relationship you know like after 8 years i'm sure we didn't just like jump from 0 to 30 we went from 0 to 1 to 2 so this is kind of like a you can imagine that this is a, a, a increasing behavior pattern for him and her so it got to the boiling point 8 years into their marriage and she was like that's it i don't want to do this anymore i want a divorce and so he couldn't handle that so he just laid on the floor for three days and cried and cried and cried now as women i think we're very maternal i think we are loving people and we really want to make things matter you know work and she also mentioned in her interview on Dat- dateline that she didn't see herself as someone who was ever going to get divorced like you know i think that back then maybe that was still a stigma but now you know divorce is not the end of the world women have been able to um move on and be strong and independent without a husband and they had no kids at this point but somehow he talked her into staying with him and so she stayed with him and then um had a baby yeah so then they had a baby boy together and she said that he was kind of starting to get better like his mental health was improving him having a baby was making him a better person and, you know sometimes that happens it's like oh you know and he had a boy too so let me let me also be frank like this is a black couple and sometimes black men when they have a son they kind of have that you know father son you know i want him to be like me blah 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 kind of bond i wonder what would happen if he had a daughter but anyway this kept going um, as far as his decline Of his mental health And Eventually We got to the point where The son is 11 years old The marriage has now crumbled But the, the what's so crazy To me is when I look at this She is a radiologist now So she's went to her You know um, She went through med school she, And I don't know how she did it Like She is a strong woman because She was going through med school and going through all that stuff with her husband at the same time. I don't think I could have done that. So she finished her med school or her, she got her med school degree and all those things. And now she's a radiologist and making really good money, has a good life for herself, can definitely support herself without her husband because her husband, he did not work. He stayed home after he, I don't. Remember her talking about any job that he had. You know, of course, we weren't, you know, in a dateline. We weren't talking about like the nitty gritty, like what did he do yesterday, on the, what did he do the day before. But she didn't mention any other job. She did mention that he stayed home with the child. Um, so I'm not sure if he kept working or he was at home or or whatever. But she went on to have a very great career. And then after, um, she became a radiologist, and her son was like around 11 years old. He broke again. He had another mental breakdown and this one was like the 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 end all because it involved their son. So he's, yeah, they had like a full standoff. Police were called, craziness was going on. He's yelling at her, standing over their child, yelling at their child, swearing at her, saying he's gonna kill her, calling her every name in the book. Just lost it. And now she's like, fed up. Like, you know, I think when you involve your kids in something, you become a little bit stronger. The things you couldn't do before you find yourself able to do it because you're not, you understand you're not just protecting yourself. You're protecting your child too. So I think that that helped her move on at this point and leave him for good. So she did mention, like, you know, she didn't say he hit her as far as um, black eyes, broken bones. She, she was clear in what she said that he just pushed her. Definitely uh, mental abuse because, you know, abuse comes in many different forms. So definitely has mental abuse there. He pushed her around, you know, things of that nature. But he never hit her to the point where she had black eyes and things like that. She didn't. She said, she said at least. But anywho, so she gets out and she's scared for her life because, well, he goes to jail, of course, that day and um, for domestic violence and he gets put on probation, okay? And during that time, of course, you know, that standard operating procedure is, you know, there's a no contact between those two people. So he has a no contact order or what some people call a restraining order against his wife and she, against him. So they can't be together. So she's out of the house, but terrified. She is terrified for her life. So she's like, okay, I need to do all the things and hires a private investigator to help her keep herself and her son safe. So she goes to... Uh, I think up degree, you know, to make sure that they stay safe from her husband, who she's afraid is going to like kill her by going like using this private investigator. And they have like three or four safe houses that they rotate through. Like she didn't have like a steady home during this time because she was trying to make sure he never caught on to her, you know, patterns. She had someone following her when she went to the grocery store, anywhere out, you know, in the public somebody was with her like a bodyguard or something in freaking sane so a part of the family court kind of thing is you know you usually one of the parents had to you know or both of the parents they have to go through some kind of counseling you just want to see that and plus with divorce depending on what state it is they also want to see that you give in your marriage like the the most you can, so they don't let you divorce without at least saying that you know you gave it your best shot. You went to counseling. You just can't, you know, you have irreconcilable um, grievances against each other, and you just can't pull it together. So he was sanctioned to go to therapy, and he went to see this guy. His name is Stephen Pitts. He's a he was like a really well known um, psych. Kyle, no, he was in a psychologist, psychiatric person, I think. And he went to um, they went to see him and he actually diagnosed him with like a severe persistent mental illness and that he was a threat and like really it was the nail in the coffin for this thing with him and his wife. So like he f- he put the final net, he put it to bed, um, Stephen did and said, like, nope, this is not gonna work. He's not he's mentally unstable, blah blah blah. So because of Steven's um disclosures or his report that went to court and things of that nature, she was granted the divorce, but not full custody of her son. Really crazy. We'll talk about that later. But he still has some visitation rights and Blew me out the water during the divorce proceedings. He was granted alimony six thousand dollars a month. She had to pay him alimony for what I don't know, anywho. So That's what happened. And then I think the guy who was interviewing her was like, hey, how much money did you put into I mean, you think about it like she's got private investigators, bodyguards, all of these things happening. How much money did she put into all of this? She said she spent over six hundred and fifty thousand dollars trying to protect herself, her son and, you know, get through this. So when she when he asked her, you know, how do you feel about that? She said, you know, money's not an option. nor money is not an issue. I'm paraphrasing, guys. So money's not an issue when you are trying to protect your kid. And that is so true. I think I go to the ends of the world to protect my kids if anything were to happen with them. And I would pay any amount, any amount. Money would not be an object. So anyway, going back to the story. So now... Fast forward, you know, a couple of years, a couple of, I don't know what the timeline is here, but fast forward, he gets off probation and he can buy a gun and all these things now legally because the probation is over and whatever period was happening is done now. And he buys a gun, of course. And I'm I'm fast forwarding through a bunch of like stuff right now, but he buys a gun and he goes and has a full psychotic break, I think, and kills systematically some of the people who had a hand in his, um, divorce proceedings. So the first person he started off with was Steven Pitt, who was the psychiatrist that, um, gave that diagnosis to the court and that report to the court that kind of put the nail in the bed for his um the i don't know what it was up for his divorce proceedings and then he went and he killed um two paralegals and i think they were at that correct me if i'm wrong siobhan but i think that the paralegals worked for the law firm is that right
1: No, I believe the two paralegals, they were saying we were completely unrelated. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Those two women. Mm.
0: Then there was the therapist, the male. What was his role? I think he killed the wrong person on that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a couple. This was really odd. This last pair that he killed. Because it was not related to his uh, wife and him. Like, it was a lady he used to play tennis with. And he somehow, we went over a house, used their gun to kill her and her fiance or boyfriend.
1: So, those might be the two people that I'm thinking about that were unrelated, that they were saying there was no need mm-hmm, to
0: mm-hmm. be killed.
1: And the other two people were from the law office. Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. And I could not figure out for like me why he did that. We could speculate all day on why that happened. Like maybe he had a thing for the lady, don't know. But he did, you know, play tennis with her um, in the past. There's nothing else said about that. And so then he, um, you know, he goes home. After doing all of this, did this? I think this happened over the course of one day or two days. Or he something? was
1: at a hotel. It was a few days. It was from Wednesday and Friday. And he was at a hotel one of the days. Like, he was really doing a lot of things. And he was mm-hmm. kind of all over. But I'll let Sam continue no, with the overall. you can totally interject no no finish finish because i have just finished okay
0: so and then so he goes to this so he was staying at this hotel I should, we should say it was an extended stay hotel and he was staying there for like nine years i don't i wanted to look up the hotel to see like if it was a lavish hotel you know because he was getting six thousand dollars a month from his ex-wife and he was driving a gold mercedes like i don't know how that looks but he you know so he had He was using her money, definitely. So he was staying there for like nine years. He went back to that place after he did all of this foolishness. And there was a full shootout, like seven or eight rounds pushed into this guy's house. None of the police officers, thankfully, were hurt or injured. No other civilian was injured. But he was not either. He actually died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So that is the whole story on how... Things can go bad. And who's left to pick up the burden of that? Well, the ex-wife, you know, she survived. But she has that grief of dealing with, you know, because of her. Or or she could say because of her. It's not her fault. You know, she didn't tell him to go crazy. But, you know, sometimes you still feel like, you know, because of me. I think she even said that she's safe but not the people who were killed in their families, you know? So she has that. And of course, all the families that were affected because they lost their loved ones, they lost their wives, they lost their sisters, they lost their aunties, etc. There was one thing that I wanted to bring out. One of the husbands has said, (laughs) I don't know if you remember this, but one of the husbands who, um, I think was one of the paralegal's husbands, He was um, interviewed at the end and he was just like, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, God wanted another angel or, you know, and all this stuff. And he's like, that's a bunch of crap, because if God wanted another angel, I'm pretty sure he was more than capable of making his own angels. (laughs) But I mean, like, that's just going to say, like, this is how, you know, this one person affected all these different lives. So that's the overview of the story. That's pretty much the story. That's the story.
1: Yes, that's definitely the story. So that's the overview. So you guys can kind of know what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. So that's that. And then some of the signs Mm -hmm. that things were going wrong, right? Because how do you know when you get into a relationship that, hey, this is going to go left? And something that I think that was interesting in the story was that Connie didn't see that something was wrong with him until she was doing her psychiatric rounds, because originally she was going to be a psychiatrist. And she just said, hey, you know, this is hitting way too close to home and it was making her uncomfortable. So that was sign number one, you know, and I feel like unlike a lot of people that go through domestic violence she was uniquely trained to spot it and she still fell victim to it you know which is really unfortunate that that had to happen but she had eight years with him before she requested a divorce and each year things escalated over and over so like sammy said he wasn't physically violent with her right away. And I think a lot of people, when they think of domestic violence, they always go right to the most extreme. He gave me a um, a black eye. He broke my arm. You know, I can't go out in public. And Connie says like, no, he was very smart in what he was doing to cause harm to her. Like he broke her sternum with the palm of his hand. So you have to think to yourself how hard he had to push her in her sternum to break it that way. Um, Pushing her into walls so that he can intimidate her and cause fear for her but not leave a mark so that other people would know that he's abusing her. And he was also just verbally abusive to her and emotionally abusive. And I think it's important to understand that those are forms of abuse as well. And you don't have to stay in that type of relationship. But Connie just kind of felt like, okay, you know, it's fine. I can make it better. And she kept moving forward with him. So I thought that that was interesting. Um, They also had poor communication. They just weren't speaking the same language as one another. You know, she was trying to get him to be better. Like Sam said, he had all of this potential, but he wasn't living up to it. And I think that you have to know when you're in a relationship with somebody, at what point do you walk away from potential? And I feel like that's why so many people stay in relationships, because they see a vision of somebody that's not what's actually in front of them, but right. it's image that they've created. Mm-hmm. And, and Connie put up with that behavior for over eight years. And that really stuck out to me, too, Sam, that you brought up. This man laid on the floor and cried for three days for her to not divorce him. To me, that's such a major warning sign. That's such manipulation to get somebody to do what you want them to do. And I think, you know, sometimes when you talk to people that are married and they've been married, whether it's two years or 40 years, you love that person and you just don't want to leave them. You're always like, I can make this work. I can make this better. And so she continued to stay. And you know, I think that's valid. I think so many times when we hear about people that are experiencing domestic violence, the conversation becomes, well, you should have been smart enough to leave and you should have done this and you should have done that. But in the moment when you love someone, sometimes you think, okay, well, this is worth fighting for. So I really believe that having that son is what was the catalyst for her to say, okay, I'm not going to let my son be through this. And I think the moment where she kind of said, hey, this is not right, was when Dwight basically held her son hostage and there's police right. outside and he's going to use his son as a shield to come out and meet the police. I think she said, okay, How that is it. How awful
0: was that? Mm-hmm. That was
1: terrible. Like I was, you know, doing my morning walk, <laughs> listening to this. And I was like, what? Like I was mm-hmm. so disturbed disturbed that he would do that to his Mm -hmm. own child like it's crazy Mm -hmm. and you know so fine they're gonna get separated and she's gonna try and do her own thing but what I thought was also interesting to bring up is Connie is a doctor so she had Mm -hmm. access to a lot of resources that the typical person doesn't have and I was like okay okay this turned out well for her. What would it have looked like if she couldn't hire a private investigator? If she couldn't move to three or four different safe houses and have bodyguards parked outside of her son's school to make him safe? You know, what happens um, in that situation? And then I was shocked after all of this. After, you know, he's held the kid hostage, they have to have bodyguards. The doctor, Steve Pitts, said, you know, this man is psychiatrically unstable. That once she went to court, that he was awarded the $6,000. My mind was blown. And then even more, that they would give him supervised visitation and that she had to pay for the person that would be supervising those visits. I just thought that was out. And it's like, that's what our system does to people. You finally escape abuse and then you get abused by the system. And something that stayed with me and I was thinking about it all day was the gentleman that she ended up marrying, her private investigator. He said, you're responsible for your own safety. Don't depend on the legal system. And when I was looking up statistics for this, they said 22% of children witness violence amongst their parents or intimate partners you know who are responsible for them so it was like she literally had to take responsibility for the safety of herself and her child because the legal system failed her it really really failed her and I just I don't know I don't understand how he could have had any kind of visitation after what he had done to them in that particular hostage situation. Mm-hmm. So I think Sam, what would you have done? Would you have stayed with him? Would you have tried to work Girl, things bye. out? <laughs> but in the beginning, before <laughs> before you have kids, and you know when she thought that he could still become the minute
0: more. you put your hands on me, I'm gonna put my hands on you. I have a very, I have a ve- no, I'm serious. I have a very one thing i will not do is if i get so mad to the point where i'm going to physically abuse you this is not working we are done you know what i mean like that's my hard you know some you have those hard lines you know that Mm -hmm. is my hard line if i get to the point in our relationship where i need to physically abuse you we're done i'm leaving we're done because you know what never have i ever wanted to go to jail Okay. At all. Just not a thing. What about you?
1: I. <laughs> I'm like, I, so many things. So in the beginning, <laughs> when they were still young, mm-hmm. I would have stayed and tried to work through it. Everybody this is that listens before to our marriage show, or after? Before marriage, before mm-hmm. all of that, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I believe in people having potential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Work through it you're married to him you see things are not going right time is going on when she decided at that eight-year mark that she just could not handle his behavior Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. i would have left Mm -hmm. i would not have stayed in that situation and brought a child into it because Mm -hmm. he just had too many warning signs um that things were not right with him and i also feel like knowing things that i know now it's better Mm -hmm. to not have children because once you have children in that situation you're always attached to that man Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. there's that and then if he has mental disability if he has instability in his life like that's in his genetic pattern like is he sharing that and passing that on to our children it's just Mm -hmm. things that you think about at 18 what i have been thinking about like about this no but my 35 year old mind yes (laughs) so i wouldn't have been able to stay past that point
0: um but eight years eight years so were they married for eight years right they were married for eight years so that means and they didn't they date for three so she had her law her law degree she had her md by then so she had already gone through you know the the psychology you know of the mind because i mean when you become a md you you kind of Taste everything before you go into your. And that's why
1: she left the psychiatric field because she said Mm -hmm. she, you know, was not into this. You know, I can't Mm -hmm. see these people and come home to my husband and I can see the, you know, commonalities. But I think eight years, I feel like I'm very old school. All of the people in my family have stayed married. So that's what I come from. I come from, you know, if things are bad you stay, you work it out, you fight, not physically fight, but you argue, you know, I'm mad at you. I don't like what you're saying. Okay. And then we'll work it out later. We don't just split. So I do tend to le- lean toward, let's try and work it out. But mm-hmm. to me, honestly, everything that she was saying, I was like, okay, okay. But when she said that he stayed on the floor for three days, that, that scared me because I'm like, that's not stable. Nobody in their mm-hmm. right mind would be do that. So I was very surprised that she did stay with him through that mm-hmm. particular incident And then when I had to a child. child.
0: Right. Qu- question for you. Mm-hmm. So this is actually, you know, I don't think I think I've already disclosed, like I have a mental health issue. So mm-hmm. this is it's not severe, persistent, you know, but you know, it's there. I have the regular anxiety, depression, and every you know, that's really common. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, it's still a mental health issue. I'm not. I'm. It's controlled. It's not like him. I'm not on the floor crying for three right. days in a row. But if you were in that kind of relationship, could you stay with someone who has a mental illness, like, like a real mental illness, not one of those? I think I am. You know, like but
1: schizophrenia, like, like schizophrenia, bipolar, Borderline, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is a great question, and I have unfortunately, a lot of experience with people with dissociative identity disorder and bipolar disorder. And from my personal experience, I could not because I feel like in a perfect world, and I'll just take bipolar because I have more experience with bipolar. Mm -hmm. If a bipolar person takes their medication, stays on top of things with their medical team, and is fully supported, yes. I could see that being something that could work out because I've worked with people that have had bipolar, that have been totally and completely functional, wonderful people, everything is good. But I've had experience with it going very wrong and it could ruin your life because it's it's like two different people in one body Um, and everybody manifest bipolar and th- I'll say schizophrenia cause that's what people are used to hearing, but it manifests differently in different people. Um, and it can be violent. You can be killed. Your savings can be wiped out. Um, you could have information spread about you that's not accurate or even just, you know, sometimes people with bipolar, they have these delusions of grandeur. And if you're not on board with them, they're very angry with you or, you know, you're just having a regular conversation and you say a word and next thing you know, you're being attacked I could not live like that because, you know, I always say on the show, I really like to know what's going to happen next and have a plan. And I don't like when I'm, you know, obviously people are dynamic. You never know what's going to happen with people. But if I'm talking with you and you just start yelling me out of yelling at me out of nowhere i don't like that i don't respond well to that because i'll just be like okay thanks so much i'll take all of my things and go you know and that's not Mm -hmm. productive either because you need to get to the bottom of the issue and communicate appropriately but i just feel like in my experience what i've seen you cannot um in that situation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so i would not would you so it's like no.
0: And I well, think cuz com- yeah. I know me. I know I can't deal. You know like everyone mm-hmm. has to know like there are some people out there who are just like everyone needs love and I mm-hmm. love you regardless in spite of, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not that person. I'm not. I'm very selfish. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> I'm selfish. You know, I'm so selfish that I don't want to be bothered. You know? Mm-hmm. I can't be bothered with this. It's just too much. It's, it's too a much, lot. you know. So that—that's me. It if is. you even want to look, I, mean, it at I can't like even a- be bothered with you on meds because I don't want to <sighs> deal with that. Like I can't even be bothered with you with that, you know, because I'm not trying to be checking to make sure you got your meds every day. Like I can't do that. I'm not good. I'm not
1: exactly. And you know what? Even that can become a fight that somebody's right. taking their medicine. It's so mm-hmm. incredibly. Time consuming. And then the thing mm-hmm. is, too, like once you get past all of that person's behaviors and their idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. and their ups and downs, mm-hmm. you are just so emotionally oh, drained yeah, because it's like, are. I love mm-hmm. this person, mm-hmm. but they are not well. And I think right. a really good example of that that everyone can kind of see and relate to is Kanye West and Kim oh. Kardashian, right? She just came out and said she has bipolar. I feel like when he first came out, he was and when his mom was alive, I feel like his mom passing unexpectedly during that procedure, mm-hmm. um, the plastic surgery procedure, I feel like it was very traumatic for him. And I feel like mm-hmm. he had some kind of break or something because I feel like and after that's that he was never point. the same.
0: That's another good point. Sometimes you're married for 10, 12 years and it happens, you know, like this, this thing pops up. So let's say, you know, Sir Siobhan. You're married to someone just you know not like her because it seems like this person that Connie this this guy he was mentally unstable from start to finish. He got worse and worse. He just he just progressively got bad. Worse mm-hmm. than what he was when she first met him. But let's say you're married to someone for 10 years because some of the onset of these diseases can happen later in life and yes. then they become borderline, you know.
1: What would you do in that case? so that's really a good question and i was just listening to something where that happened to a woman her husband had a tumor all of a sudden on his brain and it completely changed his personality and he Mm -hmm. was a violent and abusive and she was like what do i do and i think what has to happen there is i think you try to you know again with a medical team with supervision you try to make it work. But if it becomes something where your life or the lives of your children are in danger, I think you have to leave. Because at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to make sure that you are healthy and functioning. And you know what? If you are in a bad situation and God forbid you get killed, what happens to your children if you have children? You know, now they're going to be left with this person. Like There's just so many things that line up, you know? And so I think... When someone is in a situation like that Where they're being abused I think they are just thinking about Literally the next moment to survive, right? Okay, we've had this instance of You know, aggressive behavior It happens Let me clean this up quickly And let's get to that next moment Where this person is apologizing to me Being kind and so on and so forth and Girl, I think if my lips still bust While you apologize to me I don't give a shit about what you're
0: saying I'm in pain I'm hurt I, I'm hurt <laughs> shit my right, lip bust my eye black so bitch much. I don't want to hear what you got to say right, I think That's what people I'm that are
1: abused I think they're manipulative and I mm-hmm. think during those down cycles when things have calmed and people have been told, they know exactly what to say to the person right. that has fallen victim and you mm-hmm. love them again and they're hearing mm-hmm. everything that you want to hear and it's like mm-hmm. no like you There's have to a wake personality up personality type and see that absolutely more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to say, even with myself, like I could see in situations where I've had, where it's like, okay, you want to believe something so badly. And so you're listening to what somebody is saying to you, but their actions are not showing you what it is that they need to have done. And I think you really need to go on what people's actions are. So if somebody is telling you, no, I won't do it again, but they continue to beat you every time, there is a pattern. And so I think at some point, you as the individual have to decide what you want to do. But I'm not saying that that's easy at all by any means, because and again, everybody's state is different. There's different rules. There's different laws. And I've seen tons of shows we've shared. Sam and I love to watch these Dateline First 48. <sighs> Unfortunately, the laws don't really protect women right. and you know, men that want to go and say, somebody is abusing me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when people talk about this subject too, it's always focused on me- women. But mm-hmm. men are abused People as well. You know, they have Mm -hmm. situations where it's not safe for them. And I think, in addition to that being difficult, I feel like when they do try to confront, you know, the police or whoever, people are like, oh, well, you're a man. You could just push her off of you, or you could, you know, break that situation up. Mm -hmm.
0: There has been a lot of reform in domestic violence law. Really, there has been. I can't say it, you know, I can't I can't say that enough because, you know, you used to have it as a law that you could beat your wife as long as you don't beat her with something the size uh, bigger than the width of your thumb. That used to be a thing, a real life law. Like you could not get arrested for that. You know, so we have, and this was like in our parents' lifetime, so we've mm-hmm. pro- we've progressed quite a bit, and so lots of places I know, like for Wisconsin, there um, I was an activist, a part of this change to have the laws for domestic violence changed from uh, gender specific to gender neutral. So we rewrote yeah. the laws to include men, you know. So it wasn't it was just a person, and then you had the you know first aggressor law, you know, that came into play where it's not doesn't matter who started, male or female. The person who started goes to jail. So it's an immediate separation. And the idea behind that was to give the other person an opportunity to leave, you know, and think about what happens. So usually they detain that person for like, mm, I think you can't detain more than 72 hours or whatever. But I think like, they, but they are put in jail, you know, officially booked in, mm-hmm. you know, for a domestic violence um, issue. And that gives the other person the opportunity to be away. So you split them up. Now, here's the mm-hmm. kicker where there is a, you know, um, disconnect is that short amount of time is not nearly enough to get someone out of the situation. Right. You know, you know, you need a longer break than that. And you need to include counseling, etc. So one thing that they said in this story with Connie and what is his name? doing? What was the guy's name? Start with I a don't D. recall
1: what his name was. I feel like they never said it. So they that's did.
0: I was like, oh, okay. It starts with a D. Something Johnson, I think. But anyway, mm-hmm. the guy, they court ordered him to have a psychiatric test or or mental. I think was it psyche. He ha- He was court ordered to go to to treatment, mm-hmm. and he fell between the cracks. You know, because no one followed up make sure that that was completed so usually your probation officer or your parole officer would check down the list you know did you do this did you do that did you do this and that didn't his name happen. is dwight dwight okay see starts with the d so that fell out of cracks And i think that's a very important piece in any kind of like domestic violence situation is usually with domestic violence and there's no mental health history they do ask you to go to like anger management or something like that Mm -hmm. you know but what about the victim the victim needs treatment too you know so we haven't really done a lot for the victim outside of trying to get charges pressed or you know what i mean all of these different things for the aggressor but we need to really think about how can we do a reform for victim for the victim because uh therapy needs to be involved for both parties not just the aggressor because the psychological damage for domestic abuse is phenomenal you know yeah it is huge and we're not helping the victim get past that at all we're saying to the aggressor you do better but Mm -hmm. why would they you know what I mean? Like, some of this stuff is, like, so inbred in them. They grew up in this lifestyle. This is what they know, What you know. Or they just have an aggressive personality. We have the urban factor where it's just more of an aggressive, you know what I mean, kind of point of view where the guy hits, the girl hits, everyone's hit. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't know what to do with all that it's not just one person who is having the issues with mental health break it's the other person obviously too and we don't do enough I don't think for the victim there's no there's victim advocacy which is trying to get people to prosecute the you know aggressor and, and make sure he's going to court make sure she, the victim is also you know doing their part to make sure the aggressor is, is charged but it's nothing for her or him to get help so they can really make a change in their lives because that's really i think the root of the root the root the root of it (laughs) the root of the issue is you know no one that person's not going to leave until they get the help they need to see that they're in trouble you know that they're in a situation that they shouldn't be in because it's that is quo for some of these people you know right. um the other thing that i like in respect about domestic violence is that uh reform is that they also have made it um to the point where it doesn't matter if the victim presses charges or not some states it doesn't matter if the victim presses charges or not they're still going to charge out because a lot of times we see the victim recant their statements and then they wouldn't be able to prosecute. So they some some states have changed the law where they can still prosecute without the victim's testimony. What do you think is good?
1: Which and I is just great. think with all of that too, that's like a really big issue, and this is a huge systematic issue that we'd have to mm-hmm. work on. It. I think a lot of people in domestic violence. It's also too like. Finances. I just Mm -hmm. kept thinking that the whole time I was watching this, right? Because let's say you decide, yes, I'm going to press charges. I want to get away. Maybe you Mm -hmm. live with this person. Maybe you Mm -hmm. can't afford to, you know, take out a mortgage on your own or to rent on your own. Maybe you can't leave town because this Mm -hmm. is that person's Mm -hmm. biological child. So now they have rights to the child, which holds you there. But Mm -hmm. you can't afford lawyers. Like there's so much that happens when people don't have access to yeah. to money, you know, yeah. and that's one thing that I was just like, wow. And I think really, they even said that at the end
0: someone mm-hmm. did discuss that the how the system fails failed this woman with means. You know Absolutely.
1: it was actually the guy, the private investigator, because he said mm-hmm. he himself She reached a point where she had no more money. So all of those services, you know, Mm -hmm. had to go away. But he said he stayed because he was so invested in the Mm -hmm. situation and could see that this was clearly not a good situation. So it's really unfortunate. I think, too, it's just that with this situation, that was really unfortunate. Obviously, you don't want anybody to be killed. But Mm -hmm. all of these innocent people, you know, it Mm -hmm. expanded outside of just their family unit. Mm -hmm. He changed several people's lives forever Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you can't take that back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can't undo that so do you have any takeaways
0: sam (sighs) hindsight is 2020 and you know but it's too late after in hindsight and especially like in a situation like this so you know my takeaway when i listen to all of my dateline and all of my you know crazy true crime podcasts is how can i prevent this from happening to me you know so I look at a lot of this as cautionary tales how can I prevent this from happening to me so stay you know stay alert look for those red flags don't ignore don't be so obsessed with being in love and being Mm -hmm. with someone that you just don't even have like a care you know for the things that are right in front of you like you can't you know I know it's hard because you want to be in love and you find someone you think they have all this great potential and everything. But if there's red flags, stop, you know, stop. Don't go that way. Um, So I think that was my biggest takeaway is like, how can I stop this from happening to me? Because that's all I can control is my life. So how can I stop that? And so I hope that everyone, you know, if you get a chance to listen to that episode, you know, just kind of listen to what she went through and see if there's any similarities, you know, in your life. And if there are similarities, you know, kind of take a good look at your life and a good scrub, um, you know, of what you see yourself as in the future. And then I'm just going to say real quick what I love about her story. Well, I don't like anything about it, but her personally is even though she was going through so much stuff at home, she still persevered and was able to be a success, you know, she wrote a book
1: during all of this. Like she was very focused on, you know, what she wanted to do. So that's definitely a good point. I think for me, my takeaway from this, again, I had already mentioned it was you're responsible for your own safety. Don't depend on the legal system. Um, when you're Wait, going that into doesn't relation- mean kill anybody. So, so, no, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't
0: want you to go to jail.
1: <laughs> no, but I took I took that to mean from that situation is be alert, be aware, like Sam is saying concerning you know yes love is a wonderful thing you guys know I love the idea of love and Mm -hmm. happy endings but don't be so caught up that Mm -hmm. one you can't see the signs for yourself or Mm -hmm. if you are that caught up that you're not willing to listen to the people that love you and have been there before this person Mm -hmm. Um, I find sometimes abusers try to you know isolate their victims so you want to just make sure that you're listening um, and you have a good group of counsel around you people that right. are wise that you respect that you love that can say hey you know maybe this is not the best situation for you um and you need to remove yourself from this situation at this time mm-hmm. and then since you know today was pretty much a heavy topic we talked about a lot of things just want to leave you guys with some information in case any of our listeners are struggling with domestic violence and you need help you don't know how to get out there is if you're in the united states the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can find them online at thehotline.org or you can actually call them at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. And if you're looking to get more involved in helping survivors of domestic violence, um, a really nice organization that's worth looking into is JoyfulHeartFoundation.org. So that's my takeaway from this week. Sam, do you mm-hmm. have anything else you want to add?
0: No, but I enjoyed this. Oh, well, I didn't. you en- <laughs> can't enjoy crime, but you know what I mean. Like I enjoy having this discussion, this very candid discussion, and about a very you know I think important topic so that was different for us and it brought in a lot of things that I always like to do which is listen to true crime so I appreciate that anything else we are going to wrap up oh have a good week we have um, reached our time with you all we'll see you next week see ya